Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, know that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And Luke is in the New Testament. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke. And again, we've been saying with the account of Jesus' birth, since it's the Christmas season, and looking at that. And so, you know, we think about hope. Hope is one of those things that has to do with our future, uh, what tomorrow looks like. And, you know, and uh, I I went to the Bible school. I'm very grateful for the Bible school. I went to it. It was good to me. And they had a huge emphasis on faith. And so I know in those circles, a lot of times we talk about faith a lot, but there was very little appreciation for hope. And yet hope is one of the ingredients of faith. The Bible says this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So hope is an element of faith. And and it is one of those things that wherever we go, that that it just kind of determines some of you are here today, that you're dealing with some issues in your life that you just feel hopeless. And it impacts us. And yet one of the things that Jesus came to bring us is hope. I believe this, and one of the callings of my life is to be a carrier of hope. And so today, in a large group setting, I want to share some things that my hope is that you'll have hope deposited in your heart, that you will leave here encouraged. Your world may not be any different when you leave here circumstantially, but the way that you see your future regarding the circumstances that you're in will change. It will bring hope. When you sit in a, I've sat in a church service feeling hopeless before. And it's hard for me to lean in. Matter of fact, sometimes I would almost get irritated by what was being said. I remember, you know, when we were at Faith Christian in Clovis years ago, and we were, you know, financial situation really hard, and uh, they were talking about giving and stuff like that. I mean, I'm a Christian, and Christians are supposed to be generous, and I was irritated that he was talking about giving. And I usually get defensive of the church whenever people are critical about that side of the church because the church is so, I'm talking about the church as a whole is so generous. So, but I was sitting there because I just felt hopeless in my circumstances, in my situation. But Jesus came to bring hope to the earth. He is the hope of the world. And because of that, as we follow him, we are supposed to present that hope to humanity. That he's the hope of the world and he manifests that and demonstrates it in the church. And so today if you're here as you think about your future and it just seems hopeless. That maybe you're just discouraged and downtrodden or angry or or disconnected. I'm going to ask that the Lord would help engage you in this moment. So that you'll leave here with a sense of hope regarding whatever it is that you're dealing with. And so in Luke chapter 1 verse 6 it says this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Everybody say very old. They were just old, they were very old. And so it says this, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. God's heard your prayer. Don't be afraid. God's heard your prayer. Well, I wonder what it is. Was he ever tell us what his prayer was about? 
God has heard your prayer. Your wife, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, I'm so glad. I'm just so grateful that the Lord has heard my prayer and that he's answered my prayer. And finally, this is going to happen. No, that's not what he said. He said this, how can I be sure this will happen? Now listen how he says this. I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. And so this is just the wisdom. He didn't say, I'm an old man now and she's an old woman. He said, I'm an old man and my wife is along in years. And so, I mean, you know, he was, it was obviously wisdom, you know, as he spoke there. And so um, he didn't need anything else to pray about. So he said, how can it happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is well along in years. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. You see, Zechariah and, you know, the, his prayer when him and Elizabeth, from the time that they were young, was that they wanted to have a child. Now, there are times that we have things that our culture says that they connect with God that may not necessarily, should not necessarily be connected in other words, there are things that culture say, well, this happens because, you know, God's good to you and he bless you and stuff like that. And that's not always the case. I mean, we connect those things, but as far as God's concerned, they're not always connected. And so, but in their culture, there was a connection that they made. They said, look, if you have kids, it's because God's favor is upon you. And if you don't have kids, it's because fa God's favor is not upon you. So their culture, the voice of their culture was saying that if you're not having children, then there's probably an issue that God's doing to you. Now, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. You know, Psalm 127 does say this, that children are a gift from the Lord. But just because somebody hasn't had children doesn't mean, we, you know, doesn't say children are a gift from the Lord. And if you don't have kids, then he doesn't care about it. It doesn't say that. But that was their feeling back then. And so I look at their lives and, and you know, as time went on, you know, they start praying and you pray with this hope and this anticipation and an expectation that God's going to hear your prayers but as time goes on, then you get to a place where you begin to think, you know, man, maybe God's not going to do this for me. And then it even becomes more powerful when you get to a place that's not only is he gonna, not going to do this for me, but he's the one that's keeping it from happening. There's just something that's so discouraging if we feel like that we're in opposition to God, that what we want or you know, what we're praying for is not only does he not want to give it to us, but he's deliberately and intentionally holding it from us. And yet they continued to serve him. And they had this moment where even though that he'd prayed years before that, by his response, how can this be? It lets me, begins to let me believe that somewhere along the line that hope was no longer a part of that prayer because he said, God's heard your prayer. I'm here to answer your prayer. And, and so what happens in our lives is that maybe we pray for something and as time goes on, it doesn't seem to change that at some point along the line, we quit praying, we give up, we become discouraged and we lose hope for that situation. But God's different than us. 
He's different in this way, and that is that because he's not confined or limited by time, that in that moment when we prayed, he was in that moment present eternally in that moment. And years later, even though we've aged, our seasons have changed and that type of thing, that the one that was present and I am in that moment is present and I am right now today. He's the same. And so, so many times in our lives, we can experience things or not experience things that creates discouragement. And the voice of discouragement paints a picture of our future that's hopeless. It's always going to be this way. This is never going to change. God, I've been coming to church. God, I'm, I'm praying. I'm doing what's right. It's just this hopeless picture. I've shared with you my story that when I was in my 20s for about five years, I went through a deep clinical depression. It wasn't just having a bad day. It was full-blown, you know, should have been seeing somebody depression. And one of the reasons why it was powerful is because the thoughts in my mind were not that I was just going through depression, but I was going through depression because I believed at that time that God was displeased with me. That the reason why I was there is because I went too far, that he, that he, you know, he no longer, I was, I was unredeemable. And you talk about, you can have your family lose hope in you. You can have, you know, your friends lose hope in you. You can have, you know, organizations and jobs lose hope in you. And all those things can be discouraging. But when you get to a point where you literally believe the devil has convinced you that God has lost hope in you. Then you talk about the, the, the height of hopelessness. And there's something about that that just causes us to not live our life anymore. But when God's presence shows up and we invite him into our life, we invite Jesus into our life, then the picture that he has for our future changes. It changes, and in this life it changes, but not just this life. For us to be eternally minded, it changes beyond this life. Let me tell you something. If Jesus tarries his coming, in this world, none of us are getting out alive. At some point, our race is over. But we have a hope even for that time when we have that, that we can experience. And so today, I know that for some of you, in areas of your life, maybe personally, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe, you know, in your health or in your finances or, or what your future looks like, you know, just in your dreams and that type of thing, that you can feel incredibly hopeless right now and that discouragement can get in the way. And when we read this account right here that we have to understand that just because I don't see God working doesn't mean that he's not working. It's interesting that when Zechariah went into the temple that day and they would pray, they would release incense into the air and smoke would rise up in the sky and it was symbolic of their prayers, you know, just ascending up into God's presence, being heard. It talks about in the book of Revelation how the prayers of God, I mean, the prayers of God's people are there. In Acts chapter 10, whenever, you know, that the, the gospel is being given to a Gentile for the first time, it said this, it says, your alms and your prayers have, been, have appealed, appeared before God. So sometimes, man, discouragement becomes so overwhelming 
that we lose all hope, hope in our future, hope in what God can do, hope in the things that he wants to do. There's this one psalm, and you can write this down. You know, Psalm 39, verse 7 says this. says, and so, Lord, where do I put my hope? Where do I put my hope? Don't answer this out loud. I, I just want to throw this out as something for you to think about secretly with you and God. In that area of your life that you're discouraged in, where's your hope? You say, well, Pastor Rick, the reason why I'm so discouraged is because I have been praying about this, and this hasn't changed or anything like that. So your hope's been in the calendar. But he asked that question, where, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. My only hope is in Jesus. And so sometimes the reason why we don't experience the hope that Jesus showed up during that time period as God in the flesh, as Emmanuel, he showed up in that time period as the hope of the world. And then he shows up in our life as we receive him as the hope of our life. And then we think about his returning and he is the hope that is yet to come. That when we see that and, and we think about that, that the thing that can get in the way of us celebrating that is discouragement. Man, I, holidays amplify whatever's going on in our world. You know, that things are good, it amplifies that. If things are struggling, it amplifies that. And I think about Zechariah here, and, and it's interesting when you look at all of the, the things that are taken care of, but these things are shared in chronological order that before Mary was ever visited by an angel and told that you'll be carrying the Son of God, before Elizabeth ever knew that she would carry John the Baptist, that the first one that was appeared to and told about God's plan, that this is what humanity has waited for, was Zechariah. And even in hearing that news, his hope had faded so far that he put his confidence in his own resources and his own ability, and he said, how's this going to happen? I'm old. I'm like really old. And my wife, she's advanced in years. So, man, if you're discouraged today, I, I just want to challenge you that even though maybe you have prayed a while, maybe you've been dealing with this for a long time, put your hope in him. Look back to him. Don't, don't be mad at God. Don't step away from him. Don't be frustrated. Put your hope in Jesus. And so, number one is this, is that we know what gets in the way of our hope is when we become discouraged. Look at number two, if you would go with me to Luke 2, the next chapter over. Jesus had been born, and so in the Jewish law, you would, you would take him to the temple and offer up different offerings and sacrifices. And so that's where we're picking up. And in Luke 2, verse 22, it says this. Then it was time. Everybody say time. For their purification offering is required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting. Hold on to those two words right there, eagerly waiting. 
He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. And so we have this guy that he was, he was an older man, and, uh, you know, that God had promised him, you know, years before that, that he, would, he would be alive, you know, whenever the Messiah was come. And so, so we have this moment, and it says this about him, that he was eagerly waiting. Everybody say eagerly waiting. I've got to be real transparent. Those words, they don't go together in my life. I don't eagerly wait. I impatiently wait. I angrily wait. Frustratingly wait. You know, irritatedly wait. I've told you the areas I struggle in, and they usually have to do with areas of patience. You know, when I'm driving down the road, as I've talked about before, and for whatever reason, the speed limit is 65, but these two people have decided to ride to side by side and have determined that the will of God for every person today is to drive at 57 miles an hour. I'm not eagerly waiting for them to, to move over. And I've talked with some of you that you're that person that drives in the left-hand lane, and you've even frustrated me more as you've looked at me hoping that this would make me okay when you say, I'm not even aware. That doesn't help my case. They should not give you a driver's license. In my world, if I was king of the world, we would put bumpers, and not to injure anybody, but they would be sturdy on the front of a car and on the back of a car, and I would be able to bump you to make you aware. And if you're a slow learner, then I can push you forward and move you out of the way where you're even really aware. How many of you are in favor of that? Let's take a vote on that right now. Yeah, okay, I praise God. Yeah, the rest of you, quit driving. So, but here's the thing. So, you know, it frustrates me, you know, I mean, if I go into the doctor's office, I'm grateful for our medical people, but if they go, the doctor will be with you shortly. I want to be the guy on uh, Princess Bride where he goes, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I mean, his shortly and my shortly are not two different things. Or if I go into a business and they go, we're going to send you over to customer service. I'm like, please don't. I'm a customer and I never feel served over there. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just one of those things. I feel like you're just kind of trying to get rid of, you're passing me along and they really don't want me. And so it's just those things, I'm not eagerly waiting on that opportunity. But there's something when we have hope that waiting is not an issue. Because we trust God's timing. Hope allows us to have confidence in the timing of God. You know, so many times we as Christians, I think that the area we miss it in is not always in knowing what God wants to do. I mean, often we know what he's promised us. We know not just what he's promised all of us as believers, but even sometimes what he's spoken to us specifically about. But man, he's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the doctor's office. He'll be with you shortly. The Lord says, this is happening soon. And I'm like, well, God, you're eternal. So soon is like different than my soon, you know? I don't want to be on my deathbed and go, hey, did you hear your prayer was answered? You know what I mean? I don't want to be that. And so, but there's something about having hope that gives us confidence, not just in the promise of God, but in the timing as well of God. 
Galatians says this. It says in Galatians 6, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Well, why would, we get, why would it tell us not to get tired of doing what is good? Because there'll be times we get tired of doing what is good. If you're in a hard place right now, and you're like, I've been doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I've been, you know, I've been trying to do what's right. I've been, all those kind of things, but it's just been so long, or this situation seems unchanging, that you're a candidate that he's talking to right here, that you may be one of those people that you're in the middle of getting tired of doing what is good. Because you're hopeless. Because God's timing is different than yours. And we want to ask that question. I know I have, and I don't think we're any different. Why hasn't it happened? You promised this, Lord. I've been doing what you want me to do. I'm not perfect. But I'm doing the things I know to do. Why, why is this happening? And the enemy does what he can to take hope from us. Because when we're hopeless, then the reason why we move forward begins to disappear. It begins to cause us to pull back and withdraw from God's things, from his stuff. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Just the right time. I realize this as I get older, and because I'm, you know, when I'm in that season where I'm waiting and I'm trying to eagerly wait, instead of, you know, irritatingly wait, I'm trying to eagerly wait, that, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I want to trust his timing, and I have to realize this, that it's, it's bigger than just God keeping his promise, it's him preparing me for what that promise looks like in my life. I've shared with you before that when I first started doing student ministry and we were having 20 or 30 kids show up a week and, and so we were doing big nights. I remember we were going to do this big night and I'm like, Lord, I really want us to have 60 kids show up. And so we, we did our thing, you know, we, we provided kind of a special event and for us back then that was a huge thing. I'm talking about when I was a student pastor in New Mexico. And so, um, so we, were, we were doing that and all that was going on and I remember we had this event we had 64 kids show up. And if there were things taking place with, with the, the electronics, the digital stuff, because I wasn't adequately prepared. And I, there was another guy trying to help me, but he would push a button and I'd push another button. And I wanted to look at him and go, stop pushing buttons, you know? And so, so finally, I was like, okay, you try to fix it. And I remember I went to another room. I even kind of like kicked the wall. I was so frustrated. You're like, you did that? Yeah, right before I went to preach, man, it was beautiful. You should have seen it. So, so, but I remember, and just on the inside of me, I had this God thought. It was like the Lord said to me, he goes, this is why you don't have 60 kids yet. And he wasn't condemning me, he wasn't shaming me, he was just letting me know, you're not ready. When you grow to that point, you'll have that. We eventually got to a place where during school sometimes we'd have four or 500 kids show up on a Wednesday night. But it's because we grew. James 1 says this, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptations, one of the translations says various tests and trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience and let patience have her perfect work. So that you may be complete, perfect, mature, or entire, lacking nothing. In other words, the reason why we can eagerly, eagerly await is not because of the waiting is God saying no or delaying his promise. It's because there's a work that he's doing in us or what or whoever it is we're praying for that is taking place. 
And again, just because we don't see a way doesn't mean that God's not making a way. Just because we don't see God working doesn't mean that he's not working. And so we eagerly wait. Eagerly wait. Patiently. Why? Because we just don't trust his promise. We trust his timing too. And so number two is this, is that the, the, the thing that gets in the way is we don't trust God's timing. Let's look at this last one. And we'll close with this in Luke 2 there, verse 36. So they dedicated Jesus as a baby. They're, they're leaving the temple. They're walking past and they, and they encounter this lady named Anna. And so it says this about her. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Samuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Now listen to this. She was very old, but she'd had an event take place in her life when she was younger. And this is what it was. She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. So in the early, when she was younger, she experienced this thing in her life that was beyond her control. She experienced loss. And so she lost her husband when they'd been married seven years. So then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. So back then it was not uncommon for them to get married 14, 15, 16 years old. So she loses her husband in her early 20s. And the next 60 years probably lives as a widow. Says this. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. I wonder what it was like for her when she lost her husband. You know, back then, because of their culture, and and Jesus has changed this, but because of their culture... That, that men were, they were in a place of esteem in the community and that type of thing. And women often were treated like property. I'm not saying that it's obviously not okay, but I mean, but that's the way it was. And so the discouragement, despair, and even fear probably had a great chance to come upon her. I wonder if she dealt with just any sense of hopelessness. You know, I realize that, that some, some of you in here have experienced, I mean, all of us, if you live, you know, for any period of time, life, just in the course of life, when it runs its natural course, there's pain connected with it. But some of you have experienced things out of order, out of time. You lost a spouse at a young age. You lost a child. Instead of your family protecting you, they abandoned you. Somebody really close to me, and I was talking to them the other day, and they just said, I remember as a child just feeling unwanted. It's hard for me to connect to that. My parents were by no means perfect, but I never sensed that they didn't want me. They said, I just felt like a nuisance. What is that like when you're 10? How does, that, how does that impact you in the years to come? And somewhere along the line, people can lose hope because of the pain that they've experienced. Often, they had nothing to do with it. 
I remember my aunt, my dad's sister, she lost two kids before she passed. That's a club none of us want to be a part of. It's a pain there's no way you can understand unless you personally experience it. And none of us want to experience it. I don't. And yet, she stayed true. I'm not saying she didn't hurt, but she stayed faithful. And Anna experiencing this loss, you know, knowing what, just having an idea and how the devil comes along and he tries to accommodate our fear and paint a picture of what's going to happen. And then at some point we begin to believe that, that hope is a mirage, that it's just one of those things that can't be trusted. And so we've refused to trust because if we get out there and trust, we may get disappointed again. And we've learned that life can show up with the unexpected and do things to us or it causes us to experience things that most people don't have to experience. And maybe you've had that happen to you on more than one occasion. And to be safe, it's gotten in the way of you ever having hope. I'm not denying the pain that Anna must have went through when she lost her husband. But because she held on to hope and she continued to serve God, that through all of the widows, through the history of time that lost a spouse early on, her faithfulness positioned her for decades later to be one of the first ones to see Jesus and to see God as he manifested himself in the flesh enter to the world to be hope of the world and to know that she wasn't just looking at another baby, but she was looking at God's son in the earth and the fact that even because of the pain, the unexpected pain that she experienced in her life, that she didn't lose hope and she was positioned on that day to forever be a part of this account where she could say, I saw the Messiah. And she went around telling people, and her story was no longer the lady that lost her husband seven years into the marriage, even though that was still a part of her story. But forever we know her as a lady that served in the temple that became known as a prophetess and saw Jesus when he first entered the world. That's what hope does. And when we experience pain, and sometimes it's just beyond reconciliation, it's beyond consoling in our life, that if we give up hope, that forever we just live in that moment. And I'm not saying that to make light of it at all. I, 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 my heart goes out to you. I, I have no idea what some of you have been through, and, and I don't want to experience that in order to know it. But what I do want to do is that I can never change that part of your story. But if that's you, I, I want to encourage you to begin to hope again to begin to look towards Jesus and just ask him to help you to hope again. To look to Jesus and begin to put your eyes on him and what he has for you. And let him redeem your story even, not just your life, but your story. For him to be a part of that. This season, the hope that Jesus brings is one of those things that not only makes this season matter, but it makes tomorrow something that we look forward to. That we're able to enjoy the present, and it puts our past in perspective. But it causes us to look at tomorrow and know that we have a hope waiting for us even tomorrow. That when we move past those moments that took place in us that cause us to think that we can never trust hope. 
That may be the case, but you can trust the hope giver, and that's Jesus. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want us to spend a moment with, with the Lord. And, and again, you know, if you're in a season right now or in a hard place where it just feels like hope has left you. You're hurt or you're angry or discouraged, frustrated, feel like giving up. Where do you look for your hope? Your hope can only be found in Jesus. Let's just spend a minute with the Lord and you just there in that secret place, that conversation that takes place between you and him that only you and him know about. Begin to ask him to help you to hope again. To find it in him, his timing, his purpose, the future that he has for you. Let's just spend a moment with God.